0: This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 2019, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2019. We also look at the case for putting MC5 into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Plus, our spotlight museum is the Patsy Cline Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 2019. In music, the R. Kelly documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, helped to finally bring sex abuse charges against the singer. The Michael Jackson documentary, Leaving Neverland, created a firestorm of backlash against the late singer, causing radio stations to drop his songs, only to then put them back on the air a few months after the documentary aired. Cancel culture has a very short lifespan and attention span sometimes. Meanwhile, singer and actor Jussie Smollett reported that he was attacked by two white men who hurled racial epithets against him while in Chicago, Illinois. Chicago police later figured out that Jussie's report was, to be nice about it, uh, not true. A report in the New York Times magazine finally revealed that a 2008 fire on the Universal Studios backlot in Los Angeles, California not only destroyed the original Back to the Future set but also destroyed a warehouse that held a lot of master copies of very famous songs and albums that can never be replaced. Music industry records were broken all throughout 2019. For instance, Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus's Old Town Road broke the record for longest consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard Singles Chart, finally ending up with 19 straight weeks at the top, beating the old record of 16 weeks. After first appearing on the charts in 1994 and after a change in Billboard Magazine's chart rules allowing Christmas music to be included on the Top 100 Singles Chart, Mariah Carey's modern-day Christmas classic All I Want for Christmas Is You finally hit number one on the Billboard singles chart. It broke several records, including slowest climb to number one with 35 chart weeks, longest number of years between its debut and hitting number one at 25 years, It also became the last number one song of the 2010s and the first number one song of the 2020s, and in doing so, it made Mariah the first artist to have a number one song in four separate decades. Bands that formed in 2019 included Everglow, Dice, Sunday Service, Simple Creatures, and Boys World. Bands that broke up before their inevitable reunions or announced their hiatus included DNCE, Fifth Harmony, One Direction, Fun, The Muffs, A Boy's Zone, Slayer, Spandau Ballet, Prophets of Rage, and Toto. Roxette, Linkin Park, The Cranberries, and The Divinals all disbanded due to the deaths of their popular lead singers. Bands that reformed in 2019 included Alpha Beat, Bauhaus, Bikini Kill, The Black Crows, Heart, The Jonas Brothers, Men at Work, My Chemical Romance, Rage Against the Machine, Stereolab, Supergrass, and The Pussycat Dolls. Major musical deaths in 2019 included Eddie Money, James Ingram, Keith Flint of The Prodigy, Doris Day, Chuck Barksdale of the Dells, Leon Redbone, Rick Ocasek of the Cars, Producer Busby, Peter Tork of The Monkees, Bushwick Bill of the Ghetto Boys, Drummer Hal Blaine, Dick Dale, Nipsey Hustle, Juice World, Dr. John, South African musician Johnny Clegg, Marie Frederickson of Roxette, drummer Ginger Baker, K-pop singer Goo Hera, Bossa Nova singer João Gilberto, Daryl Dragon, the captain in The Captain and Tennille, pianist Andre Previn, opera singer Jesse Norman, Phil McCormick of Molly Hatchett, and Art Neville. As far as the albums of 2019 went, Taylor Swift's Lover was the biggest-selling album of the year. Other big albums came from the A Star is Born soundtrack, BTS, Harry Styles, Madonna, The Backstreet Boys, The Jonas Brothers, Tool, Post Malone, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody soundtrack and the reissue of the Beatles classic Abbey Road. The biggest singles of the year were Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus's Old Town Road, Ariana Grande's Thank You Next and also her song Seven Rings, Post Malone and Sway Lee's Sunflower, Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello's Senorita. Lizzo's Truth Hurts, Jonas Brothers' Sucker, Halsey's Without Me, Travis Scott's Highest in the Room, Louis Capaldi's Someone You Loved, Selena Gomez's Lose You to Love Me, Post Malone's Circles, and The Weeknd's Heartless. Country music had a major controversy about what exactly a country music song was. Lil Nas X's Old Town Row was originally a number one song on the country music charts until Billboard magazine decided that the country trap song wasn't really country enough. quote unquote. Then Blanco Brown's the song The Get Up did the exact same thing. And the conversation about what type of music was country and who was country, usually surrounding the question about whether more black country artists can be successful in country music, is a conversation that actually continues to this very day. The biggest country music albums in the meantime included Jason Aldean's Nine, Cody Johnson's Ain't Nothing To It, Florida Georgia Line's Can't Say I Ain't Country, Thomas Rhett's Center Point Road, Tyler Childers' Country Squire, Luke Combs' The Prequel, Blake Shelton's Fully Loaded God's Country, George Strait's Honky Tonk, Time Machine, Marin Morris's Girl, and the Highway Women's self-titled album. The biggest country music songs included Luke Combs' songs Beautiful Crazy, Beer Never Broke My Heart, and Even Though I'm Leaving. Also, Blake Shelton's God's Country, Blanco Brown's The Get Up, Marshmallow and Kane Brown's One Thing Right, Morgan Whalen's Whiskey Glasses, Brett Young's Here Tonight, Chris Lane's I Don't Know About You, and Luke Bryan's Knocking Boots. Yes, he had a song called Knocking Boots. Eh, country. What are you going to do? In hip-hop... The biggest albums of the year were put out by Lil Nas X, Travis Scott, Lizzo, Post Malone, J. Cole, Lil Tecca, Lil Uzi Vert, Blueface, Logic, and Kanye, who put out a gospel hip-hop album, Jesus is King. In singles, Lil Nas X's Old Town Road was one of the biggest songs of the year, with his follow-ups Panini and Futsal Shuffle 2020 going top five. Post Malone also had a good year with four songs that hit the top three on the charts, Circles, Sunflower, Wow, and Goodbyes. Other big songs were Travis Scott's Highest in the Room, Lizzo's Truth Hurts and Good as Hell, Cardi B and Bruno Mars's Please Me, J. Cole's Middle Child and Lil Tecca's Ransom. Dance music was so diverse in 2019 that not one song spent more than one week at the top of the Billboard Dance Club Play chart. This was also the last full year of the chart for a couple of years as the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns of all entertainment venues meant that there was no need for the chart for most of 2020 and also for 2021. After all, no clubs, no club play. Having said that, though, songs by the usual pop and hip-hop dance artists made it to the top like Jennifer Lopez, Katy Perry, Ariana Grande, and Ava Max. Some of these artists were a little on the head-scratching side. For instance, Sting and Mark Ronson also made the top of the club play chart. As far as the more quote-unquote legit EDM artists went, some of the most popular songs included Chris Lake's Stay With Me, Peggy Gao's Starry Night, Sophie Tucker and Jus Mirumba, Fisher's You Little Beauty, and Major Lazer's Can't Take It With You. The biggest Latin artist of 2019 was Bad Bunny. Other big Latin artists were Ozuna, Anuel AA, Jay Balvin, Luis Fonzi, Aventura, Sec, Farruko, Daddy Yankee, Pedro Capo, Romeo Santos, Jay Cortez, and Taney. Musical movies that opened in 2019 included Rocketman, Wild Rose, Yellow Rose, the live action version of Disney's Aladdin, Frozen 2, the CGI version of Disney's The Lion King, Yesterday, Blinded by the Light, Judy, and Cats, which was universally panned. Musicals or revivals of musicals that opened in twenty nineteen included Hades Town, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, Tootsie, Moulin Rouge, Kiss Me Kate, Beetlejuice, and Oklahoma. In awards for the music of 2019, the year will be remembered as the year of Billie Eilish, as the singer had the second biggest album of the year and broke records all year, becoming the first artist who was born in the 21st century to have a number one song and a number one album on the Billboard charts. At the Grammy Awards for the music of 2019, Billie, along with her producer brother Phineas, grabbed the big, four major awards at the same ceremony. Billy became the first female and second person to pull off that feat since Christopher Cross did it back in the 1980s. Billy won Album of the Year for When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go?, Song and Record of the Year for Bad Guy and Best New Artist. At the American Music Awards, Taylor Swift won Artist of the Year at the Billboard Music Awards, Post Malone won Artists of the Year during a ceremony that actually got pushed into late 2020 because of the pandemic. Usually, that ceremony would be held early in 2020 for the music of 2019, but then the pandemic hit right when the ceremony was going to happen, so they pushed it until very late. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Video of the Year went to Taylor Swift's You Need to Calm Down. Lizzo won Album of the Year for Cause I Love You, and Chris Brown and Drake won Best Song for No Guidance at the Soul Train Music Awards. Billie Eilish, Taylor Swift, Shawn Mendes, and Blackpink won the Music Categories at the People's Choice Awards. At the Eurovision Song Contest that was held in Tel Aviv, Israel, Dutch entry Duncan Lawrence won with the song Arcade. Garth Brooks won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards and Carrie Underwood won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. Dave won Best British Album for Psychodrama, and Louis Capaldi won Best Song for Someone You Loved at the Brit Awards. Alicia Cara won Best Album for The Pains of Growing, while Camila Cabello and Shawn Mendes won Best Song for Senorita, and Shawn Mendes won Artist of the Year at the Juno Awards. Dean Lewis won Album of the Year for A Place We Knew and Guy Sebastian won Single of the Year for Choir at the Aria Music Awards. At the Tony Awards, Hadestown won Best Musical, and Oklahoma won Best Revival of a Musical. The Pulitzer Prize for Music was won by Ellen Reed for PRISM. Musical.ly at the Academy Awards, Elton John and Bernie Taupin won Best Song for I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man, and the movie Joker won Best Original Score. Dave won the Mercury Music Prize for his album Psychodrama. The 2019 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony took place on March 29th at the Barclay Center in Brooklyn, New York. That year, the Hall inducted the Chantels' Maybe, The Champs' Tequila, Barrett Strong's Money, that's what I want, The Isley Brothers' Twist and Shout, The Shangri-La's Leader of the Pack, and The Shadow of Night's Gloria into the singles category, which was a category that has been on and off rather sporadically over the last five years or so. And in the performers category, The Hall Inducted, Janet Jackson, Stevie Nicks, Radiohead, Roxy Music, The Cure, The Zombies, and this next group. The group Def Leppard started out in 1976 as the band Atomic Mass in the city of Sheffield, England, by schoolmates Rick Savage, Tom Kenning, and Pete Doubleday. Pete Willis joined up in 1977 along with Nick Mackley Andy Nicholas, Melanie Davis, Nick Hornt, and Paul Hampshire, as members were joining and leaving all the time, mainly due to the fact that they were still in high school. Singer Joe Elliott auditioned to be one of the guitarists, but it was decided that he would become the lead singer. Guitarist Steve Clark and drummer Rick Allen came on board soon thereafter in 1978. The name Deaf Leopard came from a newspaper headline that read, "Deaf Leopard: Deaf Leopards Deformed." Deaf being hard of hearing, They changed up the spellings, I'm assuming, so that they wouldn't get sued. Right around the time that they were working on their EP, the Deaf Leopard EP, Kenning left the band and was replaced by Frank Noon. By the time all the band shuffling back and forth had finally finished up and they released their debut album, the group finally consisted of Savage, Clark, Elliot, Allen, and Willis. The group released their debut album On Through the Night on March 14, 1980. The album originally didn't do too well, except in the Sheffield area. Eventually, though, it caught on and at one time actually hit number 12 on the Billboard Albums Chart. It also got the attention of legendary producer Mutt Lang, who produced ACDC's classic album Back in Black, and would also go on to craft Brian Adams and Shania Twain's albums, along with marrying Shania Twain for a number of years. Mutt took a liking to the band and would go on to produce the band's next few albums. Mutt and the band worked on the group's follow-up album, High and Dry, which was released on July 11, 1981. The band didn't have an official hit from the album, and the sales figures weren't all that spectacular. The band did have a music video, though, for their song Bringing on the Heartbreak, which would turn the song into a cult hit as it was one of the first hard rock music videos that the fledgling TV channel MTV played at that point. MTV would play a huge part in the group's success with their third album. The group got to work on that third album called Pyromania. For this album, there were a few changes. The first was that they changed guitarists. Pete Willis was let go from the group for excessive drinking, something that would eventually help to claim the life of their other guitarist, Steve Clark. Guitarist Phil Colling came on board from the band Girl to replace Willis. The band also changed their sound to a more glam rock style instead of heavy metal. Mutt was again at the helm for this particular album, and Pete Willis actually played most of the rhythm guitar and contributed songwriting on a few tracks before he was actually let go. This album was one of those rare cases when the album came out before the first single was even released. Pyromania was released on January twentieth, 1983. The first single, Photograph, was released on February 3rd. What made the song and eventually the album so popular was that Photograph, their second single, Rock of Ages, and their third single, Foolin', all got heavy rotation airplay on MTV, which was in full swing by then as being a cultural force and a major record pusher. The album was the second biggest selling album of 1983, right behind that album by some guy who wore a sparkling silver glove and danced the moonwalk. To date, Pyromania has sold over 10 million certified albums. Def Leppard began work on their follow-up album, Hysteria. However, tragedy struck when Rick Allen was involved in a car accident of his own making, to be honest. On New Year's Eve 1984, Rick was driving his Corvette down a country road near Sheffield when he came up behind a slower car and rather than slow up and get behind the other car, he tried to speed up to get around the other car. Unfortunately for him, he sped up so quickly that he lost control of his Corvette, hit a wall, and crashed the car into a nearby field, all the while completely severing his left arm doctors frantically tried to reattach the arm, but eventually he had to have it amputated once it got an infection. Now, normally, you would think that that was the end for being a drummer. After all, you kind of need your arms to play the drums. That's what the instrument does. Rick, however, was a bit of a different beast. See, rather than quit the band... Rick and a few other people worked out a drum kit where he could drum with two feet and one arm and it would all be done electronically. What's also amazing is that the band, rather than get rid of him, stuck by him and didn't even consider getting rid of him at all. That is some band loyalty for you. The band did get another drummer to help Rick with drumming when they played a few tour warm-up gigs in Ireland. They soon realized, though, that Rick was going to be just fine on his own, so the idea of a side drummer was squashed. In fact, during one gig, Rick drummed with one of the bones from his severed arm because, I don't know, rock and roll. You figure it out. Different beast, remind you. Different beast. All of this pushed back the making of Hysteria, but the album finally got released on August 3rd, 1987. Hysteria was a monster hit, selling over 10 million records, producing hit songs like Pour Some Sugar on Me, Animal, Love Bites, Armageddon It, and Rocket, plus making Def Leppard one of the few artists to have more than one original album sell over 10 million copies. It also helped producer Mutt Lang to cement his place as one of the most successful producers of all time after also having 10 million sellers with ACDC, Back in Black, and Shania Twain, pretty much every Shania Twain album that came out in the 90s. After finishing up their successful Hysteria tour, they started work on their album Adrenalize. Tragedy, however, would strike the band again, as guitarist Steve Clark's alcohol addiction spiraled way out of control. He did try to get help. In fact, he was in and out of rehab quite a bit. But on January 8th, 1991, Steve's demons finally caught up with him. He passed away from taking prescription drugs and alcohol, which is never a good idea, even on a good day. The band pressed on without him and released Adrenalized on March 31st, 1992. The album was a hit, although it wasn't as big a hit as Pyromania or Hysteria. It spawned the songs Let's Get Rocked, Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad, and Heaven Is. Before they went out on tour again, though, they auditioned guitarists to take Steve Clark's place, and they found their now-guitarist, Vivian Campbell, who used to play with Whitesnake and Dio. After that, the guys put out a bunch of different albums, like Retroactive and Slang, but by this point, music had kind of changed up on them. Grunge took over right around the time that Adrenalize was coming out, which would explain why Adrenalize didn't sell as many copies as the other albums in the 80s did. But when Grunge took over, it kind of kicked F. Leppard's style of rock to the curb. Plus, they almost had yet another tragedy when Vivian Campbell was diagnosed with cancer, but he recovered from that, thankfully. Through it all, though... Def Leppard never lost their legion of fans, and to this day they continue to be huge concert draws. They even did a couple of Las Vegas residencies. They still sell out arenas to this very day, even if their albums don't sell 10 million copies like they used to. Throughout their career, Def Leppard released 12 albums, their last being 2022's Diamond Star Halos. They've been nominated for seven American Music Awards, winning two in 1989. They were nominated for six MTV Video Music Awards, although they shockingly never won one. To date, they have not been nominated for a Grammy Award, although they really should have in the 1980s, one would figure. Okay, so the critics don't love them. Doesn't matter. They've sold over 100 million records and they've been called the 31st greatest hard rock artist, according to VH1. Presented for induction by Brian May of 2001 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, Queen, Joe Elliott, Rick Allen, Vivian Campbell, Steve Clark, Phil Collin, Rick Savage, and because he was on the first couple of albums, Pete Willis, Def Leppard, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 2019. And on this podcast playlist, which you can find on YouTube Music, I have put Pyromania, Hysteria, Adrenalize, and a couple other choice songs onto the playlist. Link is in the show notes. Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast, where we go over the events, music releases, births, and passings for that day in music history. The Music History Today podcast drops each and every day, including on the weekends on this channel, the Music History Today Network, and also on our Music History Today Network YouTube page. Now, back to the Music Halls of Fame podcast. Music is a lot like a building in that you need a solid foundation on which to build on. Even punk rock needed to have a couple of groups to take the slings and arrows of the critics in order for others to follow them down that path. Now, if you think that the Clash and the Sex Pistols were the beginning of punk, you're wrong. Much like there had to be a Chuck Berry and Little Richard in Rock and Roll, in punk rock, you had to have the Stooges, and this next group in order to help those punk rockers to succeed. The Michigan band Motor City Five, or MC5 as they were better known, were a group that was around in the late 1960s through to the early 1970s. They first burst onto the scene in 1969 to critical acclaim. The classic lineup consisted of Fred Sonic Smith, Rob Tyner, Wayne Kramer, Michael Davis, and Dennis Thompson. The problem with them and the Stooges, to a certain extent, was that they were years ahead of their time. In the counterculture movement, even their left-of-center, hell, left-of-left politics, didn't really sit too well with flower power, so they were tossed aside. Basically, they were that generation's Rage Against the Machine in a peacenik era, but without all the success that Rage had. While the group were together through their original run of 1969 to 1972, MC5 released two studio albums. 1970's Back in the USA made it to number 137 on the U.S. charts, and 1971's High Time made it to number 191. Their 1969 live album, Kick Out the Jams, was their most successful album, going to number 30 in America. Like virtually every other group, they've also done the reunion thing back in the 1990s and again for the past decade or so. However brief their three-year original career was, their impact was immeasurable. For one song alone, they should be considered gods of rock, especially considering how many times that song has been covered. That song is the punk rock anthem Kick Out the Jams. Now that the Stooges have finally gotten into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, maybe it's time to put their contemporaries MC5 in. For being the forerunners of punk rock, they certainly deserve to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so you can check them out, I've put their music also onto the same exact playlist that I put Def Leppard's music on That link, of course, as I said before, is in the show notes. In Nashville, Tennessee stands the Country Music Hall of Fame. About two blocks over from there, at 119 3rd Avenue South, stands the Johnny Cash Museum, which was started by Shannon and Bill Miller. The couple had always wanted to start another museum a memorabilia in honor of another country music legend, but didn't have the opportunity until a sad event happened. The legend's husband, Charlie Dick, passed away in 2015, and he left behind a ton of memorabilia that he hadn't shared with the world. Shannon and Bill got the items, and on the second floor of their Johnny Cash Museum, created a museum for that legendary artist, Patsy Cline. At the Patsy Cline Museum, you can find many items from her life, including handmade cowgirl costumes that she wore during her show and a recreation of her dining room. The Patsy Cline Museum is open seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., but closed on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Tickets are $21.95 for adults and $17.95 for kids ages 6 through 15. There are $1 discounts for AAA members, military members, seniors, and students with ID. Kids under 5 are free with adult admission. However, that $1 discount is only available when purchasing the tickets on-site, not online. As always, check with the museum's website before you go for updated hours and ticket prices and PatsyMuseum.com is their website, and I will throw that website into the show notes. No one knew it at the time, but a young woman who was on TV the night of January 21st, 1957, would go on to become a country music icon, and it took a reality TV show to do it. Back in the 1940s and 50s, Arthur Godfrey was the Dick Clark, or Ryan Seacrest these days, of television. He had a bunch of shows, both on radio and TV, and was a household name. And one of his shows was called Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, where amateur entertainers would get their break. It was a contest show, basically. People would go on, do their performances, and the audience would pick the winner. Think of it as American Idol before there was such a thing. Now, in order to be on the show, you had to audition. Some people who were deemed not worthy enough to be on the show included Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley. Go figure. That does not, however, detract from the show's track record. Their list of soon-to-be stars who got their start on the show included Tony Bennett, Pat Boone, Lenny Bruce, the comedian, and Marilyn Horne. On January 21, 1957, a young woman from Winchester, Virginia, went on the show and performed the song Walking After Midnight. She won the contest that night, and that was when the world had first heard of the name Patsy Cline. Patsy would go on to have many hits from 1957 to 1963, although the meat of her career would be after 1960, including this classic song. The song Crazy was written by a then-unknown songwriter who would himself go on to become a country music legend, Willie Nelson. When Patsy Cline's husband first brought the song to her attention, he reportedly said, quote, the song's crazy, to which Patsy reportedly said, it certainly is. guess she wasn't a big fan of the original version. To be fair, though, Willie's demo track had him speaking the words instead of singing them. Patsy gave it a chance, though, recorded the song on August 21, 1961, and released it on October 16, 1961. The song became a big hit, going to number two on the Billboard country chart and number ten on the pop singles chart. Patsy was herself tragically killed in a plane crash in 1963. She remains an icon to this very day, but she first made a name for herself by winning Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts TV Contest, and one of her biggest hits was the song Crazy. Her voice would be an inspiration for many singers, including Reba McIntyre and Leanne Rimes, and Patsy is on Rolling Stones' list of 100 Greatest Singers and is a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame. You yourself can find many items from Patsy Cline's life at her museum, the Patsy Cline Museum, in Nashville, Tennessee. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening.